It's Greg Mackling on behalf of a vacationing Brett McGarry and Loren McNabb. It is the Start On Demand, the Start Podcast. And today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the situation behind doctor's shortages. What's the issue? Is there something we're missing? Bud Grant, the legendary head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, passed away over the weekend. He was 95 years old. Four Grey Cup championships and five years in his decades-long run as head coach in Winnipeg. And then, of course, he would go on to lead the Minnesota Vikings to four Super Bowl appearances. We will celebrate the, the life and times of Bud Grant. Bud was his nickname. We tell you why and how he got that nickname. And we'll talk nicknames this morning. It is the Start Podcast. Let's get right down to business. W was mostly the story of the weekend for Manitoba sports teams. One disappointing loss. We'll get to that in just a moment. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry returns on Thursday. It's Mackling and McNabb. And Loren, the Winnipeg Storm Shield uh, seemed to activate just in time to keep most of the snow we were expecting this weekend south of the city. Uh, what you saw in Winnipeg is not what you saw in the southern part of the Red River Valley or the Pembina Valley. No, there was still, of course, snow here in Winnipeg, but I actually was spending the weekend in Winkler for hockey. And it was, I don't know if you'd call it a blizzard in terms of the definition, but it was blizzard-like. There was roads shut down everywhere in that region, you know, in Carmen, Altona, Winkler, Morden. So there was a lot of snow, a lot of blowing snow. The drive home was very different. And of course, our driveway, we live south of Winnipeg, uh, was completely drifty and snow-covered. And so our first remark was, okay, so I guess the melt is, you know, we're not going to be seeing grass anytime soon. So we're going to bring Environment Canada on in about uh, eight minutes time just to see how much we got, how much other places got compared to us. And is there anything else on the horizon? Because as we said, Friday, it's March. We get it. Sure. Snowstorms happen in March. They happen all winter. But I think many people were hoping we'd see green sooner than later with Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Day Friday and the only green you might be seeing is in your beer. It was pretty nice day yesterday. I don't Gorgeous. know what it, I don't know what it was like Cold, where you were. Windy, but blue sky uh, and that sunshine sky. in the afternoon with Wasn't our spring it forward. It just felt real nice. So yeah. it felt springy even with the spring, snow. Yeah, I would agree. It's felt springy for sure. And uh, yeah, I don't know if we want to dig too deep into the whole time change thing, but I will ask you: How did it go in your house uh, yesterday with? With uh, getting well, we were able to going. sleep in yesterday, so it made oh, no difference. Good. It was just a rare Sunday. So today's going to be it the was challenge. a rare Sunday, but last night, you know, with that argument, like, why do we have to go to bed? It's technically only eight o'clock, and you're like, because tomorrow you're technically it's only seven thirty is going to actually be your six thirty, right? So you're trying to explain that, and yeah, uh, uh, good luck, husband. Last Sunday, uh, Manitoba's Carrie Anderson won her fourth consecutive. Uh, National Curling Championship last night. Brad Gushu of Newfoundland defeated Manitoba's Matt Dunstone, ending his magical run at the Briar for his fifth overall national championship. What a curling match. What a weekend of curling. It was so great to watch, and I actually, what I really enjoyed, and I got teary yesterday, was just when they talk about Matt Dunstone, and it's his brothers who plays for Gushu, right? So it's brother versus brother. Yeah, the the two leads. The two leads. So they they the um, Hernan brothers, right? Yeah. And so they went to the shot of uh, the uncle and the dad in the crowd, and how mom, I think it was Sue, is home watching. I thought, oh no, this poor mom again. It's like every time you think about parents and how right. proud you are of your kids, that conflict. So I was just fascinated to see all that. The other stuff that comes with the sport, you know, the family sure. stuff. But no, Manitoba didn't come out ahead. But um, I'm all for Gushu, too. I enjoy watching him play. So he'll go on to the Worlds. So and another W, uh, maybe one of the most important, well, definitely one of, maybe the most important figure in the history of the Winnipeg Football Club, Bud Grant. Passed away at the age of 95 yesterday. His impact on the history and legacy of the Blue Bombers can never be overstated. He was an incredible athlete and a leader amongst leaders. I don't know if you know this about Bud Grant, Loren, but he actually um, postponed his NFL debut to play for the Minneapolis Lakers of the NBA. He was drafted uh, in the first round by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1950. He played two years with the Lakers, won an NBA title both years, 
as a member of the Minneapolis Lakers. And then in 51, he turned pro to play football with the Eagles, played on defense as a rookie. And then, oh, I'll just switch to offense and was the number two pass receiver in the NFL with 56 catches in 1952. And then he came to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a player in 1953, played here for four seasons with the Blue and Gold, and then, of course, became head coach, winning four Grey Cups in 10 seasons at the helm, including in 1958. It was just one year ago tonight that we were on this in the same arena. And as uh, we walked off that stage that night, I know there was a lot of us that made a vow and that ball was to come back here this year with this Grey Cup. We didn't have an individual on the ball cub. It was strictly a team effort, 100%, and everyone in this arena tonight is part of our team, and we hope that we started a trend and can keep that Grey Cup in Winnipeg for a long, long time. Thank you. And of course they did. They went, in, went on. That was the first of four victories in five seasons. Mackling and McNabb, McGarry returns on Thursday. He'll have a, a review of the AEW wrestling at Canada Life Center on Wednesday night. So he's back Thursday, but isn't he's going to go to the yeah. show? This doesn't make sense. Take Thursday off, buddy, or do it the other way: Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So here's the deal: so that show was originally scheduled for Tuesday, oh. so he booked these days off well in advance. Oh, he should have just and then they them. moved it to Wednesday. I had this discussion with them. Exact same. Conversation with 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 uh, with Brett on Friday. I said, well, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Well, I've got to do the couch potatoes on Thursday anyway." And he says, "Then I can be here. I can talk about the show." So Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho coming to town. Two Winnipeg uh, heroes, mm-hmm. proud Winnipeggers, ambassadors for our city. And so it, it's going to be a big night for wrestling fans here in Winnipeg on Has it been Wednesday a while night. since a show has been here, too? I'm trying a to big, think of the last time a big one like this was here. I, I'm going to defer to our house expert. I don't know yeah. the last time. I think the WWE just did one last fall, but that was the first one in like a decade yeah. or more. So 780-6868. Help us out if you're a wrestling fan. When when was the last time we had a big wrestling show? Like I said, I think we had that WWE show for television last fall, or maybe it was even over the winter. Let us know when the one before that was. And also, let us know if you're seeing anything in traffic. And there's also fog in the forecast. So if you're seeing fog patches where you are and it's disrupting your your commute this morning, 204-780-6868, when it is, of course, safe to do so. We start this half hour with this question. How do we address a physician shortage in this province when we don't know exactly just how bad the problem is, Loren? Yeah, where are the holes? We know that there's a shortage, but is it largely family doctors? Is it EI doctors? Is the system too complex to even answer that? We know many are needed, but when we ask just how many family doctors the province has and how many more we should get... Well, that answer is harder to come by. And that same situation at our hospitals. A few weeks ago, I asked what the vacancy rate was for both doctors and nurses in our emergency rooms in Winnipeg. And I received that same day info on the nursing shortage at St. Boniface, HSC and Grace. But I'm still waiting for the numbers for doctors. So that was an ask that we put into health officials here. You can go outside the city for answers. The Canadian Institute for Health Information says the average in Canada is 246 physicians per 100,000 people. Manitoba has just 217. So we're actually the third worst in the country, Greg. Yeah, so the bottom line, there are a lack of doctors in this province. And according to doctors we spoke to, the competition for their services is fierce. It's not just about dollars and cents, but going to a place where they feel they have the resources to give patients the care they feel patients deserve. Yeah, we're talking about patient safety. We have been for a while now, and it's not just the, the patients that need to have the right care, Greg. It's the doctors need to feel safe in their workspace and the nurses, right, that they have the system behind them so they can make the right choices. And that's why doctors told me that they're speaking about out about the situation at Grace Hospital. Uh, we first shared this with you on Friday about a group of doctors who sent a letter to the health minister outlining their concerns. 
I spent this past week talking to several doctors, three who rotate through Grace Hospital, and they say the situation is so concerning that some staff do not want to take shifts at Grace and aren't. They're not obligated to, and so we might have a situation where if this continues, they won't. So to recap, there's a doctor in the ER at all our hospitals. There's a doctor in the ICU overnight. But in the medicine ward, which is where you'd have people dealing from heart attacks, pneumonia, there's only a physician in place on that ward during the day. For the last year, as we've been telling you, there's been no dedicated overnight physician in the medicine ward at Grace. The doctors in this ward who deal with, you know, 100 or so acute patients a day say their concerns were so bad that they went to the WRHA last fall. They were told eventually in December funding was in place to hire someone, but then those dollars were later rescinded. Global's Rosanna Hempel picks it up from there. According to the letter, a temporary solution that was in place this winter isn't working. It means that a doctor is being pulled from the ICU to rapidly respond to patients on the medicine ward. The letter expresses concern over the model, which is, quote, not set up to catch and prevent clinical deterioration prior to requiring ICU care. The physicians say they've asked the WRHA to provide enough funding to hire an overnight specialized doctor, a position the Health Sciences Centre in St. Boniface Hospital already have. But the letter says the WRHA hasn't heeded their calls. The president of Doctors Manitoba, Candace Bradshaw, says situations like this are adding to physician burnout in a system already riddled with shortages. If the ICU physician is already running an ICU and then they're called to somebody who's crashing on a ward um, or a hundred people who may have their own um, issues going on all at the same time, that is not possible. That is dangerous. In a statement, the WRHA says Grace Hospital has been notified that they can hire a hospital medical officer for the overnight shift. The spokesperson didn't say when the doctor would be in place, only that recruitment would start soon. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. So the health authority did respond saying, yep, you can go ahead and hire someone. There's a doctor or position in place. But I, as I said, have spoken to several doctors who work there. I spoke to one yesterday who rotates through Grace St. B and HSE. He asked his name not be used, but he told me that this offer that just came in from the WRHA to finally fund an overnight position is not a solution because according to him, the amount being offered is lower far lower than what a doctor would make at another hospital and that money inside staff are increasingly stressed about working on the medicine ward at grace here's what he said he said quote most of us spend 70 to 80 hours a week in the hospital and then overnight you're woken up because patients have issues we're working on less sleep and a lot of the junior faculty are afraid to leave the hospital because they know once they leave there's no one there to support the nursing staff overnight he added if i work at hsc i can work several weeks in a row grace by the end of one week you're all ready to you're ready to find someone else to work. Two weeks is a big stretch. It's difficult, both mentally and emotionally. It takes days to recover from a shift at Grace. And then he added, Greg, that nurses are afraid to come to work at night. And so we're just talking about a situation. It's, it's one person, one position, right. but just the feeling that's like leaving. And then I said to him, well, if you're worried about a reputation of this hospital for Grace, what about how patients are supposed to feel? And he's like, well, that's why we're speaking out. We're not doing this to put that alarm into anyone. We're doing the best care we possibly can. We're just saying patient safety, patient care has been and will continue to be compromised. And we felt we had no choice but to speak out. Now, this just didn't start last month. This has been going on for a year. I'm puzzled by the fact that there would be a difference in pay between the different hospitals since they're working in the same system, the same region of 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 and health and authority. To clarify, we're working to we're working to get more information from the WRHA, but this is according to this person's right. understanding. So that would be one of my curiosities and the other thing that I think we have to keep in mind at least uh, for myself, I know I know so many people that are so dedicated to their craft that the last thing they want to do is to speak out and to say and put a spotlight on themselves and say hey, we're not doing things the way we want them to. People who are doctors, who are nurses, so many people who are, you know, electricians and and people who are plowing our our roads over the weekend, they're very dedicated to their work. And so they just do whatever it takes to get the job done. But there becomes a point in time where you're being taken advantage of. 
And we've all been in those situations, perhaps in our job before, you know, this is in a situation where it's extremely important to feel you have the resources, right? Someone who's taking care of your health, you do not want to hear that they don't feel like they, that someone has your back. But I think we can all relate to being in a job at some point in our life where you feel like you're stretched so thin that mistakes will be made. And I'm talking mistakes in a restaurant where the order doesn't go through or you burn the toast or you forget to deliver the pizza. Not a great thing. But it's not life or death. It's not life or death. But I was the type, when I served tables, I was the type of guy, I would wake up sort of in the middle of the night and I go, Remember oh my order. God, I forgot to take exactly. water to table oh, 95. Yes, I didn't get their margarita. And that's just minor. It's still your stress. It's whatever your world is, that's your stress. But it, imagine when it's life or death. That's right. And it just goes to, just to amplify and to, to highlight an, uh, you know, a little bit of an analogy of, you know, we all know people and you're probably one of them, listener, this morning who's dedicated to their work and, and do what it takes. To, to get the job done, uh, but when you're doing it with one hand tied behind your back and and the safety of those you're trying to serve is compromised, you have to speak up. One of the other issues, and we're going to take a break here right away, Jeff, but that one of the other issues has to do with recruitment, retainment, and then training new doctors. Our uh, listener, Bob, this morning saying, my daughter applied to med school twice with a 4.25 GPA and was not accepted. And there are questions about maybe having more spaces in universities. In the next hour at 7.37, we're going to visit with an association that works with doctors who are trained outside of Canada. Doctors who might have left because they couldn't get into schools here, go to other schools in Australia, England, the States, get good training and then struggle to find jobs when they say, hey, I would like to come back. I'd like to come home. Yesterday, it is the start, by the way, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, Mackling McNabb with you, McGarry returns Thursday. Yesterday, sports fans across North America learned of the passing of one of the great coaches in the history of professional football. Peter Harry Grant coached the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to four Grey Cup championships between 1957 and 1966 and 67. Bud Grant left Manitoba for Minnesota to become the head coach of the Vikings. He retired having taken the Vikings to four Super Bowls. But how did Peter Harry Grant become Bud? When I was born, my name was Harry Grant. My father's name, I was a junior, he was Harry, senior. You can't run around the house with two Harrys. So my mother nicknamed me or called me Buddy Boy. My dad called me Kid. The Buddy Boy was shortened to Bud, and the Kid... If, I mean, if I'd been a boxer, I would have been Kid Grant. But my dad always referred to me as Kid. My father was very important in my life. He was interested in sports and got me interested in sports. We'll learn more about the legacy, the legend that was Bud Grant later on this morning when we visit with the keeper of the Grey Cup, Jeff McWinnie and Bob Irving. But that was from Bud Grant's induction speech when he entered the Pro Football Hall of Fame as part of the class of 1994, Loren. So we want to talk nicknames this morning, one you have been given or why you were given it or a nickname you have that was given to you by someone else. We'll go to around the table now. Uh, Bron, let's start with you. Oh, mine's really boring, and it was born out of necessity. My friends call me JB, and uh, the reason is we've got another friend in our group named Jeff, and he gets called by his last name, and I get JB just because... Uh, so no one gets to, to be safe. Jeff? Nobody gets to be Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> got on. a Hebert and a JB. He should have gone, like, by birth date or something. The <laughs> oldest gets to be Jeff or the youngest, whatever. Just, now there's no Jeff. I'm well, older, hey, yeah. we, we, we already have that around here. Like, uh, Bron is called Jeff, and everyone just calls me by kind of my last name, like 40... Or Forts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or, or Kelly Moore, who nicknames everyone, calls me Fortulata. <laughs> Fortulata. I don't get it. <laughs> I think that uh, Kelly's a little obsessed with Mexico. I think that uh, just has oh, to do something works. maybe with enchiladas. But, you know, in hockey, the, they have the great, the great, and I'm putting it in quotation yeah, marks. that's sad. You know, nicknames. And if you were a hockey player, Jeff, you would be Bronner. You hate that. Yeah, well, it's just so boring. It's like if you're going to give somebody, invent a brand new name for somebody. It's less boring some, than JB. Yeah, well, that's just out of necessity. I'm just like saying, a, put I do some, that on everyone. Make it more interesting. You yeah, hate Bronner? I've been I calling you that for years. I know, lots of people do, and I despise it. Well, you yeah, you never told I've me. said it millions of times, Ugh. and no one cares. You're right, In this day and age, though, I think like, maybe it's a little easier to get people to call you what you want than it used to be. So maybe I can't get rid of that you finally. Start. I say Brett Lee. I say Bronner, I say Clazy. I put a Y on everything. I'm Rossi. 
I will say when me and other Jeff, I like to call him other Jeff sometimes, when yeah. we were at camp, when we were kids, I was uh, Jeff on the top bunk and he was Jeff on the bottom bunk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the uh, rookie on the show this morning, Levitan. Uh, you played hockey once upon a time, I'm guessing, a little bit of sports over the years. Yeah, yeah, once in a while. I actually thought McGarry took the, the day off because I know how much he detests the, the E and the er nicknames at the end of it. But, <laughs> I mean, Ross is Ross and, uh, kind of, I don't have any problems like Jeff does. I mean, I don't think that I've ever been in a class or anything with another Ross. But, yeah, really just the boring ones. My dad actually calls me Roscoe. I like that one a little bit better than... That's uh, a good one. I like that Yeah, too. Roscoe's got a good ring to it. But Levy was kind of the one that that I just adopted over the years. So, um, But when we talk about nicknames, I, I just shake my head because every day my fiancé has a new nickname for our dog. Dog's name's Alfie, which I think you can all figure out why, but every day it's Alf, and then just something else on the end, Alfonso, Alf, man, Alfredo, really just a, a, a smorgasbord of, of what's what. So, uh, yeah, I always get a smile when uh, when I think of that one. Uh, now, I know why your dog's name is Alfie. I'm uh, after Daniel Alfredson of yeah, the it, Ottawa Senators. Funny enough, if you actually go to a dog park in o- Ottawa and say Alfie, then every dog <laughs> comes towards you. Well, he was the, that was the only team he ever played for, was it not? Don't don't twist it. Well, like I, that. I know. He, he left the last I year. know, but the last Didn't year. That count. doesn't count. Nobody nope. thinks of that. Uh, Sidebar, would you be insulted if someone named their dog after you? I think no. I would. I would. Why? Maybe a cat, I don't know. but a dog? Yeah. <laughs> now you're really no, getting around. You'd be insulted if someone named their cat after you, yeah, but you'd be okay with a dog. dog. Name your Margaret. kid after me, but a pet? Ross, Come on, four be years ago when I started with the show, I made Come the mistake on, of saying something about cats, and I have, I still have people who hate me in this audience. So. Yeah. I'll t- I'll bring me that heat. Yeah, Ross said it first, yeah. not me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cat hater extraordinaire, Ross Levitan. Uh, what, what's your email address uh, yeah, there, yeah. Rossy boy? Exactly. I think it's great. Uh, Greg.Mackling uh, okay. at CJOB. Turn off his microphone for it, Jay. What about you, McNabb? <laughs> well, obviously I got red a lot just yeah. from the red hair, which is also not very no. original. It's just picking like one thing. Like, like I, no one just has brown eyes or like glasses or, you know, like it's, <laughs> like, it's just so obvious. But I also like giving nicknames to other people and not calling them by their name. And I had a friend uh, who we used to call Johnny all the time. She's one of my best friends, but because she was like, Johnny be safe or Johnny mm-hmm. Johnny Johnny goes home early and Johnny does this. And even when she calls now, I'm like, Johnny G, what's up? Love it. Love it. That's her name. I'll give a shout out uh, to the late great Fred Roy from Isaac Brock Community Center. He gave me he was the first person ever to call me Big Mac when I was a little kid, and it stuck for a long, long time. So uh, Fred Roy was a Winnipeg firefighter, and uh, every time somebody calls me that, I think of Fred. So uh, give us your nicknames, the ones you've been uh, you've been given. The ones you can call me the Whopper, but moving on. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> ones that have been <laughs> bestowed upon you, you've bestowed upon others. That dawn is beginning to break just a little bit later than it has been, almost exactly, well, exactly 60 minutes later than it's been for the last little while. Our first work day, at least for most of us, with the time change. Hopefully things are going not too badly at home. Let us know, did your kids want to get out of bed this morning? Because I know mine didn't want, even want to go to bed last night. Because of the time change. It's a, it's a struggle. I know. I It's funny because my alarm goes off, you know, anywhere between 3.15, 3.30. And I woke up before that. And then I thought, oh, I'll, I should just get up. But usually I'm exhausted at that hour because that's where my deepest sleep starts to hit around 3. And then today I just woke up and I was like, ah. Oh. Because it's two. My body is like, it's two. You're not as oh, tired. Oh, so you missed the deepest. I had the, the deepest, opposite. You, I missed the deepest sleep, which means I'm going to pay for it. Yep. But I also didn't have that, oh, like, no. Because I just was sort of like I was napping or something. That's L- that's Loren McNabb. I'm Greg Mackling. Brett McGarry returns on Thursday. We're asking you about nicknames today for a chance to win. Jets tickets or 905. We have a concert announcement. Winner will get the choice. So you'll you'll want to stick around. Make sure you're here for that concert announcement at 905. We have World of Wheels tickets to give away. That can happen at just about any time this morning. But we're asking about nicknames, either ones you have, ones you've bestowed upon others, or maybe a nickname you have for your pet. Sort of wide open here. Tell us a story, 780-6868. And this comes... Uh, from somebody that actually, Loren, that I've uh, bumped into at Grey Cup a couple of different times. Huge Bomber fan. And her nickname is Ledge. Here's the story. I once received a phone call to remind me to take 
my car for servicing. The guy phoning me had no idea how to pronounce my name, and somehow he pronounced it Ledge. I told the story to my coworkers, and now they call me Ledge. Our uh, listener's name is Lee, hmm. L-E-I-G. Sometimes those ones stick, right? The ones that are wrong, and then he decides just to go with it. Might as well. 780-6868, share your nickname stories with us. But to start this half hour, the doctor shortage in Manitoba could grow worse in the weeks and months ahead as cities across the country compete for the best and brightest medical minds, Loren. Doctors Manitoba has previously said this province would need to hire about 400 physicians, more than 400 physicians, just to reach the Canadian average of 246 doctors per 100,000 people. We're trying to figure out where are these doctors needed most because we repeatedly hear more resources are needed on the family doctor front, not just to prevent long-term medical issues in all of us, but to keep Manitobans out of the ER because too often patients are going to the ER for help on an issue that might have been best addressed by a family doctor. But the question we've asked before is how many Manitobans are looking for a family doctor? Our colleague over at Global News Morning, Gabrielle Marchand, went to each health authority for the answer and then to the province. And the answer appears to be there is no answer, no specific number, with a provincial spokesperson eventually citing national data from the Canadian Institute for Health Information that shows 15% of Manitobans don't have a regular health care provider. That doesn't tell us how many are needed, Greg, just just that the fact that 15% of us don't have one. And so we're trying to sort out, you know, where do we start plugging the holes? And it certainly doesn't tell us how many are needed and specifically where in the province they're needed. So that's part of our question. How do we fix a problem when we don't know how bad it is and where can we turn for where can we turn to rather for help? Rosemary Pollock. Pollock is the president and society of Canadians who study medicine abroad and joins us now. Good morning, Rosemary. Good morning. Thanks for doing this with us. Uh, let's start with the basics. Do we know what the need is in Canada when it comes to this doctor shortage? Uh, we, In terms of specific numbers, uh, no, uh, because there's a disconnect between what the government says the need is and what people say the need is. So since the 1990s, um, the government has... Uh, determined that it should control healthcare spending by controlling the number of doctors. And so we have a different definition of need. The need of the government, the right number of doctors by the government, is budget divided by average cost to doctors. Our need is uh, we want to see a doctor when we're sick or having some other condition that requires medical care. So unfortunately, there is no, there's a significant difference in, um, in calculation. And so what we've had is a shorting of physicians every year since the early 1990s. And at, even before COVID, it had hit a critical stage. Man, we've heard that too often, right, in the last few years, and of course, post-COVID, that the different groups have been sounding the alarm on a whole host of things, and suddenly you hit COVID and you try to get out of it, and you're like, oh, wow, we need to fill these holes, Rosemary, and, and that's, the, that's the common complaint. So how do we reconcile the two, the idea that one side might, one hand might say one thing and the other hand says the other? Is there a meeting in the middle? Well, um, I don't know that there's a meeting in the middle because people, the people's power come from their a democratic right to um, escalate issues. And this is one that certainly needs escalation. So to give you a specific example of how dire the situation is, uh, in the year in 19, pardon me, in 2021, uh, 4,000 Canadians uh, died um, unrelated to COVID due to delayed care. That's 4,000 mothers, fathers, husbands, uh, sisters, etc. Uh, simply because they could not get to a doctor in time. And when I've spoken to family physicians and other physicians, they say that's the tip of the iceberg. So that tells you the serious situation that we're in. That number you referenced, Rosemary, just for our listeners' sake, that came from uh, a study that was done with the Canadian Medical Association and Deloitte, correct? Just so that it's not just, you know, people often think, oh, where's this number coming from? That's a very concrete number that was determined uh, out of the pandemic of delayed care killing Canadians. That's correct. CMA, the Canadian Medical Association and Deloitte did the study. Rosemary, uh, so many governments uh, as part of their 
justification for making certain decisions want details. They want numbers. They want data to back up their decisions to to make one decision or another. I am absolutely perplexed at the fact that there doesn't seem to be uh, data for every single community specific uh, right across the country, or at the very least, the health region, so that they know what they're up against here. Is this data being hidden from us? Is it is it data that's out there that just needs to be mined? I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to understand why getting a straight answer about who needs a doctor and how many and where seems to be a very difficult question for people to ask and people who should have the answer. In, in my opinion and in my experience from trying to get, get data for the last 10 years related to all kinds of things related to healthcare, when it doesn't, healthcare is a very political issue. To us, it's life or death. It's quality of care. It's quality of life. But to the government, it's a political issue uh, and governing issue that um, I don't, in my opinion, they have not put our health care high enough uh, as a value. And the fact that so many people die without, without regard to the situation is problematic. They don't keep the statistics um, uh, in, in large part, or at least they don't want to make it uh, public. And by they, I'm referring to the people who are uh, in control of health care. So the ministries of health, primarily across the country, um, and other organizations that work with them. So we have a lack of data, but we know we, we can all say we know they need. I mean, I can name three people I know who are looking for a family doctor. I had two actually just in the last week say, does your doctor take any patients? Loren, you like your doctor? You know, can you give share the number? And I said, no, she's full right up. You can't have her. So we can all name somebody who need, who has the need. And so we have a sense, you know, anecdotally, anecdotally at least, Rosemary, of what's going on. But we know that there is people pushing for solutions. So let's just go to one of them. One of them might be doctors who are trained elsewhere. And it's not just new Canadians to Canada. Tell us about Canadians who might leave to study elsewhere because they maybe don't get to med school here and they're struggling to get a job back home. Yeah, there there are more than 700 um, people, Canadians, who leave every year. Uh, And that that was the number that came in 2010. Our expectation, and again, we don't have a precise number, is that there are probably around 800 to 900 now who leave every year to other countries. And very few of them come back. And the reason for that is Canada has a hostile um, attitude towards international medical graduates. They're fully qualified. Um, they're not allowed to compete for positions. And the reason goes back to what I told you, the fiscal management policy of controlling the number of physicians, rationing health care. So there are literally, and I mean literally, thousands of Canadians in, in um, primarily Australia and um, the United States who are working, serving the needs of other countries because they are not welcome back in Canada. The barriers are intense, and they're not accidental barriers. They're intentional barriers. Who's put those barriers up? We have about 40 seconds here. Is this the, is this the, the medical association? Is it the, is it the system itself? Who's putting up those barriers, Rosemary? Primarily the ministers of health uh, in cooperation uh, with the universities who want their graduates not to face competition from others. Uh, and so Canada doesn't get the best physicians. Uh, it gets the ones that are most politically um, connected. We appreciate you answering our questions. You've, recre- you've created some others for us to ask throughout the day and the weeks ahead. Thank you very much, Rosemary. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Thursday. The cult is not coming to Winnipeg, at least not that I know of, anytime soon. But we do have a big concert announcement coming up for you in just under a half hour's time, just after Global News with Jeff Braun at 9 o'clock. We have tickets to give away to that show or tickets to see the Winnipeg Jets in action against the Arizona Coyotes. That's coming up March 21st at Canada Life Centre. And that's where we start this half hour, is talking Jets. It was quite the weekend for the Jets, Loren McNabb.
Yeah, so it's just two games, but in, in another respects, Greg, not just two games, right? Because there was two for two in the state of Florida, four critical points for the Jets as they work to solidify a playoff position in the Western Conference. And yes, the home team is not out of the woods yet. They face two of the top teams in the league this week in Carolina to face the Hurricanes tomorrow night. And then they're going to come home to the league leading Bruins on Thursday at Canada Life Centre. So big week. It is a big week. Uh, Co-host of Jets at Noon and host of the Jim Toth Show joins us now. Jimmy, good morning. Good morning to you both, and I love the cult. I once said on Jets at Noon that CJOB needs more cult, and Cam Poitras responded with, I don't think that's ever been said on CJOB. <laughs> Probably not, but it's not an untrue statement. I, I saw the cult uh, just once at the old Winnipeg Arena, and the opening act was Guns and Roses. Oh, see, I could have a conversation oh, about GNR, but I got nothing to add to a cult conversation. Oh, Loren, a whole new world's about to open for you if you go down the cult pipeline. It's outstanding stuff. I'm not taking that turn today. Not taking that Winnipeg, path. Oh, Winnipeg was... already. <laughs> Winnipeg Enterprises, <laughs> the group that owned the Winnipeg Arena, were famous for making sure that nobody stood at concerts. And Ian Asprey, the, the lead singer of the cult, comes out, sings a couple songs following a, a, a GNR set that was interesting, put it that way. And about three songs in, he says, I'm not singing another <clears throat> song until everybody stands up. And everybody looked at each other. We're not supposed to stand up. This was a policy at the rink? Oh, yeah. They hated people standing up. They had these orange chairs on the floor. They wouldn't let you stand you'd on the sit, chairs. You'd, you'd have floor seats and you'd be sitting? <sighs> Let's not get into it. The point is this. The cult, outstanding in concert. I haven't seen them in a long, long time, Jim, but the next time they come to Winnipeg, you and I, we're going together. The Ren Love Removal Machine will change your life if you give it a chance. <laughs> I'm not giving it a chance. I'm going to give this Jets team a chance, though, after this weekend. I'm, I'm trying to set this conversation back on track. All right, track. you put it back. Let's go on track. Okay, let's talk Josh Morrissey. Uh, we're usually talking about Josh for uh, different reasons, Jim. Uh, Morrissey left the game in the second period of the, of, uh, the game in, in uh, Sunrise versus the Panthers Saturday night. He was out of the lineup again last night. And on top of that, the Jets played uh, both games this weekend without Pierre-Luc Dubois, period, dot. Could we suggest this team is showing some resilience? I would say so, and and that's been this team's M.O., and I can't explain it. They played some really good survival hockey when they had seven regulars out of the lineup, and they kept their head above water and won some games. And then when all the, the healthy bodies got back into the lineup, that's when they sort of got away from the system that Rick Bonus implemented during training camp that, that had them find success. So, you know, the way it was going, they, they weren't playing well. They'd only had two wins in over 10 games. Um, they had fallen out of uh, it first at one point in the West down to the eighth and, and final wild card spot. But as Rick Bonus stays positive and pointed out going into the weekend or, or prior to the week that was against San Jose and, and Minnesota, that they were only one point out of third as well. It's very tight in the West. It's still open. I, I've never doubted that the Jets would make the playoffs. I know there's still a lot of hockey left to decide that, and there's a chance they could fall out of it. But for whatever reason, when this team's back is up against the wall, it's when they play the most resilient. I won't say they're best hockey. I won't say that they're they're you know not giving up too many shots and they're not taking too many penalties, but they just find a way to grind out wins, and that's two massive wins for this team against Florida and Tampa Bay it, because it didn't really matter who you were playing. They needed to get some points, and they did that. And we'll see what happens in Carolina. They haven't fared well there. One of the best teams. Carolina's coming off a 3 nothing shutout loss, so they'll be angry as well, but... Um, the Josh Morrissey injury is ominous. I, I was co- very concerned about it, as I think most Jets fans were. But Rick Bonus said uh, after Saturday's game, highly, highly doubtful he'll play on Sunday, and then he didn't. But now he's saying there's a chance he could play on Tuesday. Pierre-Luc Dubois is skating here in Winnipeg, so he's not going to be at the game in Carolina, but he looks to be getting close as he is doing workouts on the ice, so that's a good sign. And then Adam Lowry would have been another huge loss, but he had managed to play in the game last night. But you could tell, as as far as I saw anyways, he, he is sort of uh, dealing with something, um, especially when it comes to the face-off circle, but but good to have him in the lineup. It's it's go time at this time of the year, so if anybody can can play hurt, they will. Playing injured is different, but they're, they're going to play hurt if they can, and Adam Lowry did that last night. You said you had no doubt the Jets will make the playoffs. That's our question of the day. Uh, There's a wide variety of options right now leading the way is there's still a long way to go at 42%. And behind that, people are feeling good, but still nervous. And of course, there's no question people are feeling good about Connor Hellebach. What else can you say about him, Jim? 77 saves on 83 shots in those two wins. 
Well, there's not much else to say. I, I, I Look, he had his worst struggles of the season the, the past five games. He's never given up 19 goals in four games in his entire career, including when he was called up at the start of his NHL career for 26 games in season. So um, you can't say enough about him. And I know a lot of people say, well, this isn't sustainable hockey, but it is when you talk to other NHL coaches, including former Jets coach, saying – this is a Stanley Cup contending team. It's a playoff team. They have the skill, they have the defense, and they have the best one of the best goalies in the world. And when you have that, you always have a chance. Now, you don't want to rely on Connor Hellebuck every single night. But look, I, I think he's... Wayne Gretzky once said about Grant Fuhrer, you guys know he's on the team when Grant Fuhrer would bail them out for a game or two. Connor Hellebuck is going to win you 12 to 14 games a year. That's how good he is, and that's okay in my mind. That's why you want a goalie to be that good. So... He's back in form when they needed him most, much like the team. The team goes up and down. Connor Hellebuck had the worst part of a four or five game stretch in his career, but then he turned around with back to back unbelievable for performances. And and the third periods alone, like last night, was just why you love having him on the team. And he is that good. I can't say anything more about him. He is what he is. And and even when he was struggling those four or five games, the best part about Connor Hellebuck is his positivity, I don't think he still believes he's ever had a bad game in his career. So <laughs> you just have to ask him. But um, look, it, it, all the pieces are there, and they're too good of a team to not make the playoffs with, with what we've seen. I understand the struggles. I've been watching him like everybody else. But to me, it's kind of like when they lost to San Jose and Minnesota last week. It's not a bad hockey team. If they play good hockey, they will find success. They're their own worst enemies, Owen. And they were doing it again last night. Um, they were shooting themselves in the foot. and, and But they, they could have had that game 4-1 very easily until mm-hmm. they make their own mistakes. If they play some some pretty pretty well mistake-free hockey, they'll be fine, in my opinion. Yeah, the power play uh, starting to get going a little bit uh, here, too. Couple yeah, that of... wasn't going to struggle as much as it had been. I know people were waiting for it to stop struggling as I was looking at it, wondering about it. But, again, it just comes back around to it. It's a long season. It's 82 games. I'm well aware when they don't play well. I'm well aware when they make mistakes. Um, they're just too good of a team, in my opinion, to, to not make the playoffs again under the system. And the power play is too skilled to not get out of it. I was wondering how long it was going to take, like everybody else. Sure. But it seems to be coming around. There's too much talent on it for, for it not to work. Uh, Richard, uh, our listener saying when all the pieces are in place, it feels like the Jets are lackluster. It feels like when they're missing a few pieces, there's a bit of urgency in the way they play. I would agree with you on that, Richard. And and maybe uh, to exhibit that fact, I would have loved for the Jets to have acquired Jacob Chikrin. I think along with a lot of Jets fans, uh, especially with this injury to Morrissey now, depending on how serious it is, he would have been a great player in addition or maybe as a, as a, as a sort of substitute for Morrissey when when he can't play, but Nino Niederreiter has a six-game point streak, three goals, three assists since joining the team, and Vladislav Nemestikov had a three-point game on Saturday and looks comfortable with the Jets, both players making a difference. Uh, Maybe these weren't uh, horrible trade line acquisitions after all, Jim. Well, I I never thought they were horrible because they were both players of what the team needed. Nemestikov brings in some grit, and and that's what I didn't know about him. I know he's been around for a long time. I know he's a former first-round pick, but when first-round picks last that long but don't put up points, it makes me wonder why they're still in the league. And when I watch him play that first game against Edmonton live, that's why. He does everything well, everything well. And he can score, but he's smart. He never turns the puck over. He's physical, he's agitative, and he's a grinder. And I thought that's what this team needs more, is a little bit more grindiness go to the net. And then Nito Niederreiter is like a, a most wanted ad you'd put up for what does the Jets need the most? It would be a picture of Nito Niederreiter, a guy that goes to the net and is physical and, and makes things happen in front of it, doesn't get shoved around. Rick Bonus has been saying since day one, we've got to go to the net, we've got to get some traffic there, and we've got to get shots there. And Niederreiter, I, I think he must be just as welcomed here as the Jets want him here and, and have welcomed him because he's finding a new gear. He's putting up points on, a, on an almost point-per-game basis uh, because that's what they need from him is what his game brings to it. So I don't want to sit here and go, these were blockbuster trades because they weren't, but uh, I think what's being lost in the conversation of no big name being acquired here by Kevin Sheveldayoff is the fact that he went out and got two pieces of exactly what his team was lacking, and they've been filling in that way. They now combined in the 11 games played, have 11 points between the two of them, 
And that's always welcome, too. They needed traffic in the net. They needed some grittiness. They needed some hockey smarts and some guys that would add some depth and round out that bottom six with Nemestikov. And with Cole Perfetti's injury, they needed a guy in the top six to go to the net. And that's exactly what these two guys have done, and they're producing. And I I don't think it's going to be the, the deadline deal of the century, but I think when you address what your team needs and they come in and they fill it, I think that needs to be talked about. Jim, I'll start listening to The Cult if you start listening to a little country. I listen to a lot of country. You do? You don't even know me. It's true, I don't. I saw you at Chris Stapleton. (laughs) You did not. I did. I'm double-checking this with my friend. I do not think... Hi, Loren. My name is Jim. We work (laughs) together. Do you know me? (laughs) Greg, I gotta go. Jim, we'll hear you at Jets at noon and then from 1 till 3, the Jim Tove show. We didn't get a chance to get around to the curling, but I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, talk a little bit about Matt Dunstone, his rising yeah, star, was, and the legend that, that is Brad Gushu. Yeah, sorry guys, I'll squeeze that in. That was an epic run by a guy who's going to be around for a long, long time. I think he really took a massive step forward this year, and it was great to see him get that far battle like that. So they'll be around. Great Briar. And also, the Bears made a great trade on Hang the Hang up the phone now, Jeff. Jeff. Okay, bye. Bye, Loren. But goodbye. For my 35th birthday, I ordered my own cake for the party, spelled out Julia, J-U-L-I-A. Not an unusual name. However, when my husband picked it up, it said Juna, J-U-N-A. My nickname is now Juna. I wonder how many people named Julia since the wedding singer. Julia Gulia. Julia Gulia. You're going to name a guy named Gulia and your first name's Julia? Yeah. Not, not good. So we have tickets to give away and it's your, it's winner's choice. And so the winner will decide whether they want to go and see the Doobie Brothers in October. We just announced that concert this morning. Or would you like to see the Winnipeg Jets play the Phoenix? Oh, there I did it. Arizona Coyotes coming up March 24th at Canada Life Center. Uh, Janice says, uh, these are a couple of our runners up here, Loren. Janice says, I have a few different nicknames. My old boss called me Sweet Pea for the longest time after a customer had called me that. My friend's dad thought he was saying Squeaky, so my nickname changed to Squeaky, which my friend's dad still calls me over 20 years later. Then one day at work, someone faxed Jennifer Well, my name is Janice. Then suddenly my nickname was Jennifer at work for years after my hubby's son uh, said he went on a couple dates with Miss Canada 2012. My hubby jokingly calls me Miss Canada 2012. But my kids and their friends just call me the cool mom. (laughs) Okay, so Debbie says my son's nickname is Poopitz, which means belly button in Ukrainian. Not sure how he got it, but it stuck somehow. Yes. See, it seems not flattering. Although, to be called belly button makes not, not be horrible. flattering either. It's cute. It is cute. And uh, by the way, the inspiration for this discussion, Brian reminding us, hey guys, Bud Grant's name was Harry Peter Grant, but everyone called him Bud, as we know. We'll discuss the legend that is Bud Grant, that was Bud Grant, uh, coming up in our final uh, half hour of the show today. Uh, the Keeper of the Grey Cup. Jeff McWinney will join us along with Bob Irving. We'll tell some stories, talk about the legend of Bud Grant. But who's our winner today, Loren? This came in kind of under the wire. Michelle says, I was a middle child and everything my older sister got, I wanted as well. I would always say, me too. So needless to say, my folks, aunts, uncles all started calling me me too as a nickname. One day, my uncle asked my sister if she wanted a spanking. And without thinking, I said, me too. We all still laugh at that 40 years later. Thanks. Congratulations, Michelle. We will find out on the text line which of the two Doobie Brothers or Jets prizes you would like, and then the other will be up for grabs in our final segment this morning. Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Thursday. We want to jump into this next segment because it'll be impossible to have enough time with either one of these two storytellers. Bud Grant, legendary head coach of the Winnipeg Football Club, yesterday passed away at age 95. His impact on the history and legacy of the Blue Bombers can never be overstated. He was an incredible athlete and a leader amongst leaders, Loren. So Bud Grant was a first-round draft choice of the Philadelphia Eagles in 1950. He postponed his NFL debut to play for the Minneapolis Lakers of the NBA. So he played two years with the Lakers, who won the NBA title each year. 
And then in 1951, Bud turned to pro football with the Eagles. He played on defense as a rookie and then became the number two pass receiver in the NFL with 56 catches in 1952. He then came to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 53. He played four seasons with the Blue and Gold and then became head coach, winning four Grey Cups in 10 seasons at the helm, including in 1958. It was just one year ago tonight that we were on this in the same arena. And as uh, we walked off that stage that night, I know there was a lot of us that made a vow. And that vow was to come back here this year with this Grey Cup. We didn't have an individual on the ball club. It was strictly a team effort, 100%. And everyone in this arena tonight is part of our team. And we hope that we started a trend and can keep that Grey Cup in Winnipeg for a long, long time. Thank you. That clip is from a celebration before over 10,000 fans in a jam-packed Winnipeg arena following the team's first of four great cups in five seasons with Bud Grant at the helm. Bob Irving was the longtime voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, of course, long after Grant left Winnipeg for the NFL. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Greg and Lauren. And of course, with us, Jeff McWinnie, keeper of the Grey Cup. How's it going, Jeff? It was going real well. Good morning, everyone. We appreciate you joining us, uh, gentlemen. Bob, let's start with you. What should Blue Bomber fans of any vintage know about Bud Grant? Well, first of all, I guess that he was a winner. Uh, he's an iconic figure. I think we use the, the word iconic maybe a little bit too much, but in the case of Bud Grant, he certainly qualifies as far as Bomber fans are concerned. When I was thinking about it, I met Bud many times and interviewed him many times. Of course, I arrived here after he was coaching here, but uh, he had an aura about him. When, when he one of those guys, when he walked into a room, you know, all eyes were on him, and he was he was a natural born leader. Uh, but there was just an aura about him when you were around him, and it it was really kind of cool. I I found when I first met him and interviewed him, he didn't suffer fools. I can tell you that. But once you sort of broke through that exterior of his, he was a very engaging and likable individual. Uh, I think the thing, the two things that stick out for me is how much he cherished his time in Winnipeg because he spoke about it often over the years. And then the other thing, and I, I've seen it uh, on a number of occasions, was the and heard it on a number of occasions, was the enormous respect, admiration, and even love that his players had for a Bud Grant. And there aren't a lot of coaches in pro sport who can say that they've had the kind of respect, I think, that Bud Grant had from his players here in Winnipeg. So, Jeff, your dad won the Grey Cup as a player in 1954, but let's go to 1958. What was his role in the Blue Bombers win then? Yeah, he was working uh, side by side with Wayne Robbins and the assistant coach uh, that came from Iowa. Mm -hmm. And dad was the scout. And it was the first year the CFL had become um, our institution after it became the CFC. And, you know, the number of things that have been prior to that are just after 1909. So 1958 was a big year. Going up, up against Ralph Sazio, they had uh, had a problem in 1957, and Winnipeg unfortunately lost that 57 game. And Sazio and Trimble were um, they were notorious in the locker room of uh, of Winnipeg. They did there was not a whole lot of love lost there, and that scouting report was a was a big deal. Um, they had to really dissect the the Cats, and uh, with Bud Grant, with Wayne Robinson, you know he had. Uh, you know, Johnny Michaels and my dad, uh, they pulled this together and uh, arguably, tactically, they, they, uh, they, they ripped up the, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 1958. Uh, Jeff, uh, your dad won uh, the cup as a player in 54 with Edmonton, as Loren mentioned. But any stories about your dad and Bud Grant that you can share with us on the radio, <laughs> one which perhaps that sticks out for you? You know, it, it, Coach Grant was uh, a guy that when he entered our house, um, you know, and it was never, it was always around four o'clock in the morning because the only, and my mom called him that son of a gun that could, and when he, she referred to, to him uh, with this, with this smile on her face because she go, he's the only one that could get dad out of the house at four o'clock in the morning because they'd go hunting. They, he, this guy was, he was something else. Uh, he had, he he commanded this respect, and I echo what uh, Bob said. In 2009, Paul Bennett uh, put, brought the, uh, the Hall of Fame dinner 
out of Hamilton for the first time, and we ended up having 1,000 people at the Winnipeg Convention Center. Well, in 1983, uh, Harry, uh, Harry Bud Grant was supposed to be inducted, but he was playing. He had, his, he, had his, he had the Minnesota Vikings. So he never got his ring. Well, in 2009, we brought him back up to get his ring. Hmm. And the cool part of that was when he walked in the room, and as, as, as Bob said, it was like royalty showing up. Everything went quiet. You had the, you had the boisterous Angelo Mosca. He even he even showed the respect of not talking at the table when Bud Grant showed up. Bob, you referenced the idea that Bud Grant didn't suffer fools, and so I get that uh, he had that aura about him. But does that mean there was ever a dressing down from him to reporters or players? Like because that says to me there was some frank talk once in a while. Well, I know he used to spar with Jack Matheson of the Winnipeg Tribune, who covered the Blue Bombers for many years, because Maddie and Cactus Jack Wells told me many stories about their, you know, their sort of discussions with Bud Grant. But he, he also he had respect for them, you know. Uh, but if he didn't like what they wrote or said, he would certainly tell them. And uh, I know Maddie, he had a world of respect for Bud Grant, you know, and he, I don't think he ever questioned Bud's tactics, but they locked horns a time or two. But, uh, you know, again, he was one of those guys that everybody just kind of held up on a pedestal because of the success he had, but because of the way he carried himself. You know, he was just a class individual. He had dignity just coming out of his pores. And it was hard to not respect, and if you were a player for Bud Grant, not to, you know, follow him even blindly, because you knew he was taking you in the right direction, and he knew it would be good for you if you followed his edicts. And so he's just a remarkable sports individual. He was called a sports genius by Nick Miller, one of the players who played for him. And again, I think all those Blue Bomber players from that heyday in the 50s and 60s 60s would echo those comments. He was just a, a remarkable guy. And his legacy here will never be forgotten even now and we're how many years after we're talking 50 years after uh, among bomber fans he is still seen as kind of the the guy that all others will be measured against and i i don't think that will ever change yeah i was by the the university of manitoba and ig field yesterday bob and and uh took a, a moment to to stop in and and uh pay tribute to coach grant at the statue which is outside the bomber store uh even though i'm i'm far too young to remember him as coach of the blue bombers my dad certainly has told me stories and i've heard stories over the years uh, from yourself and from jeff and others there's just a reverence there and i hope that never ever goes away because you know i know Mo- bud grant more as the uh head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And so that connection, uh, Jeff, was always so cool, When, especially when the Vikings were in their heyday. Yes, they went to four Super Bowls, didn't manage to win one of them, but they won 11 division titles under Bud Grant. The players weren't allowed to wear gloves. Uh, the legend of Bud Grant, you know, transcended an international border. certainly did. You know, you're, you look at... Uh, he was likely, I would refer to him as the Bo Jackson of the 1950s. And when you talk about the coaching aspect of it, he respected uh, the National Football League and the Canadian Football League. In 1965, uh, if we go back to the Win Bowl, Ray Boucher, who was uh, refereeing, and he was a friend of my dad's, it was actually his last great cup that he was going to do, did 93 games. And just before the game, they uh, they brought Ralph Cesio, Bud Grant, and Ray Boucher to figure out what they were going to do with this wind. It was uh, 30 to 60 uh, miles an hour. And it's the first time and the only time they made a, a compromise where the, the Canadian Football League has a fair catch rule, a modified fair catch rule. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's neat how these leagues are great and how he's impacted uh, the league. Only him and Marv Levy have been able to see Super Bowl, a uh, Super Bowl Sunday and uh, a Grey Cup Sunday. And it's pretty cool to to have that about the Canadian Football League. Yeah, I think it's, Bob, the, the number four plays a role there, right? Levy four times yeah. with the Buffalo Bills, uh, Bud Grant four times with the Vikings, and then, of course, four Grey Cup championships and five years as coach for, for Bud Grant here in Winnipeg. Can I add just one more thing, Greg and Loren? 2019, when the Bombers won the Grey Cup and ended there, long Grey Cup drought, Bud Grant watched the game 
uh, was cheering for the Blue Bombers. And when it was over, you know, he had commented he was so happy for the Bombers and their fans that they had ended this long drought. So imagine that. He's still engaged with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, just a few years ago and many years after he'd left here. And so he never lost his connection to Winnipeg. I know when we were down there covering the Jets, Russ Hobson and I for Global TV, and Russ wanted to see if Bud would talk to him. Sure, sure, come on over, right? I mean, all those years later, it was just like, oh, you're from Winnipeg? Come on in, and he's uh, quite a guy. Yeah, we had Bud on the air, or Mr. Grant, or Coach Grant, on the air <laughs> 10, 11 years ago to talk about his uh, his at least Minnesota-famous garage sale that he would have every year and uh, sell, usually sell off some Blue Bombers uh, paraphernalia every once in a while. An incredible story. Story, a legend who will, who I don't think will ever be forgotten in this part of the world. Bob Irving, thanks for your insight and sharing some some stories about uh, the late great Bud Grant. Uh, my pleasure, you guys. And Jeff McWinney, keeper of the cup, uh, CFL historian. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing the personal side as well. Uh, never mind your historical knowledge uh, around Bud Grant, but the, the personal knowledge and the personal experiences it means a lot. Well, I appreciate that. Stadiums in the NFL and stadiums in the CFL, their lights will be shining a little dimmer this season. Jeff McWinney, Bob Irving, remembering the late, great Bud Grant.